Welcome everyone to Politics Express, the Postwriters Politics podcast. I am your host, the Postwriters Politics editor, Lars Emerson. This week we have some special guests here to talk with us and educate both me and our listeners on Pride Month. We'll be talking both broadly and specifically about its history, what role it continues to play in the modern era, and how to be a better ally to the LGBTQ plus community overall. So let's dive right in. With me today to discuss are the hosts of the With a Gay Twist podcast. Welcome back, Mason Dixon and Zachary Penn. How you doing? Hello, hello. It's so great hello, to be hello. here. Thank you. It's uh, it's good to have you so guys back. back. Yeah. You're officially friends of the site. I think we'll crown you that now. <laughs> oh, I love a crown. Yeah. <laughs> love a crown. <laughs> Gives me all the crowns, please. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for coming. So before we start, I guess, so this is sort of a follow-up on a podcast that we did together over on your channel. Zach, do you want to remind listeners of what you and I talked about? I was a deeply inquisitive inquisitor to Lars about all things straight, because <laughs> I, I, I don't know the straights. I don't, I, you, I, I don't know your people. Uh, so lots of probing questions about what it means to be straight in this world and to work with the gays and to be such a great ally. So yeah, it was very interesting. We broke down some barriers. Yeah, we did. <laughs> We did. It was it was really nice to listen. Uh, I mean, I wasn't there for that particular podcast, um, but it was nice to kind of like hear Zach flip the script during Pride Month, and instead of being the one that's asked the questions, start out by asking asking a straighty the questions. Uh, yeah, and so, we say straighty with all, nothing but love. No, no worries. <laughs> I, I get it all the time. I, mean, I, <laughs> I love everything that's straight. So. <laughs> um, uh, so listeners go check that out uh, it, it was great uh, like we said that's with a gay twist podcast google it find it where podcasts are found check out that episode but let's let's get into it so let's start at the top with the history of pride month and what it celebrates and I'll, I'll start with the broadest and a lot of these questions i'll say up front are like things that i'm also curious about i look forward to learning and i hope our audience does too but the broadest most general question first I'll go with is what does Pride Month celebrate? First of all, I think you're you're right in using that verb. What does it celebrate? Because to me, Pride Month is a celebration. To me, it is a time to celebrate who we are. It's very sort of we're here, we're queer, we're not going anywhere. You know that kind of attitude. Uh, it is the antithesis and the response to the way that many people were forced to live when they were younger and for some still have to live today, which is in the closet, not saying anything, afraid to tell people who you are, afraid to wear a particular article of clothing or to wear some accessory or maybe try a little different makeup or maybe to be afraid that you're going to be seen staring at the waiter at the restaurant or that you're going to be seen staring at the new kid who sits next to you in class uh, or God forbid someone see your search history. Ugh. Um, so it's the response to having to having lived years in that sort of life that once that door gets opened, that closet door is opened, it's then like, oh, I'm going to jettison all of that. And I'm just going to be proud of who I am. And yeah, it's about just not having to deal with that bullshit anymore. Uh, it's to me, it's 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 relief. It's 
comfort, it's acceptance, it's joy and pride. I mean, it's the reason it's called Pride Month because it's it's very proud uh, to be very unapologetically who you are. Uh, when Mason and I were talking earlier about this, I, I think I sort of like in, in one sentence was able to sort of encapsulate this idea that the opposite of pride is silence by forced conformity. So Pride Month is about fuck that. I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, you mentioned it at the front, uh, celebrate was a good word to use, but I mean, my next question is kind of how did it start? And, you know, I would not I would not think it was always a celebration. So how, how did Pride Month kind of come <laughs> to be? Mason, take so, it. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> so you're right. Pride didn't start with a celebration as far as the pride that we know today. So we kind of have to go back a little bit before the true uh, climatic event that kind of catapulted us into what we know as Pride today. So going back into the late 1800s, the early 20th century, thinking about back during Prohibition, a lot of people knew about these um, gin halls that were these kind of like back alley, hidden soirees where people would go. Well, that had been already happening for the gay community for decades. There were these under ground clubs that queer people would go into whether it was gay men or lesbians people of the you know poc communities what have you they would go and it was a space where they could be themselves and what would happen is there would be police raids um, so some of these institutions actually had uh, installed red lights on the dance floors where everyone would be dancing with their same sex partner and then when police raid was known to be coming down the street and was going to actually come into their establishment they would flash this red light and everyone would know oh we have to switch partners real quick i have to be with somebody that's opposite sex mm -hmm. so this had been going on for i mean 20 plus years easily and you know we had people that were being jailed because they're wearing the wrong gendered clothing so men would be jailed for wearing uh women's undergarments so if they're wearing panties versus traditional men's undergarments or even wearing a bra underneath their suit um, i mean police were actually going into these establishments not only checking to see if you were dancing with another man but also you're wearing a dress your dress is a drag queen lift your dress and show me your genitals i mean like literally had to drop trowel show them that you either had or didn't have certain parts right Small and if government. you had the wrong yeah. part you were getting thrown in a patty <laughs> Yeah, and also cutting that into today, we're now in Florida and a lot of other states where they're now having these trans kids have to go to a doctor to get the same thing is being done. You're getting these genital checks. Huh. Yeah, it's school nurses. Quite disgusting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, so we we had all these police raids happening, right? So fast forward to June twenty eighth, nineteen sixty nine, uh, and this is where the Stonewall riot occurred in New York City. Right. So we're talking in Greenwich Village and very gay, very gay. Now, this was a establishment that had been under a lot of heat from not only the heteronormative community as far as police raids, but was also under a lot of heat within the gay community and queer communities because they were um, predominantly white cis male. <laughs> attendees and had had some issues where they weren't allowing um, POC members or drag queens into the establishment, uh, which was very widespread. I mean, you're, you're talking right at, you know, civil rights, um, you know, actually 1969, we're talking about after the civil rights, big 
events have occurred, right? This was af right after Dr. Martin Luther King had already been assassinated as well. So that being said, a shot glass or a brick, what have you, was thrown, broke a window at Stonewall, and a riot ensued. Um, police were called, there were arrests made, and kind of the story of Stonewall is a little sorted, it's a little messy as far as who was the first person to throw the object because it still isn't clear whether it was a brick or a shot glass that was thrown um, from outside of establishment into the window. and. The person that has been credited with this was a famous POC trans woman, Marsha P. Johnson, who actually came out in an interview um, shortly after this. I mean, it was in the 80s that she did this interview. And she was like, no, girl, I wasn't there. I wasn't there when this riot started. I came in after and I joined in. Like, I, I definitely participated in the riot, huh. but I didn't throw that shot glass. Um, so another POC trans woman has been credited with throwing the shot glass. Her name was Sylvia Rivera. And she has taken credit for throwing the object and starting the riot. And it was, you know, shattered either a window or shattered a mirror. That, that's still up in question as well. Um, but screaming, I got my rights, which then caused everyone to kind of take to the streets, start this riot. Now... A year later, the one-year anniversary of this event was the first actual Pride event. So they didn't recreate the event, but they started a march down by Stonewall. They took to the streets, they organized, and it was the first Pride parade. And that has pretty much been what Pride has evolved from and why it's a march in the streets, even though we call it a parade now for the big event that everyone knows about, even though Pride events you know, span normally a week in each city um, and have a bunch of different events, whether it's at bars or the parade or um, picnics are very popular as well. But it's this whole idea of hearkening back to what originally happened, what the catalyst of Pride was, which was this huge social movement that just kind of erupted organically in Greenwich Village because of the discrimination that was being faced. So is 1970 the you, you said that's the first pride that was yeah, the first to commemorate the, yeah, the yeah to commemorate the riots the year before. It also just a very another interesting tidbit. It is this is again apocryphal. There's a lot of apocryphal sort of versions of the of the the pride story, but one that I is not true, but I do sort of love though is that on June 28th, 1969, one of the reasons, again, apocryphally, that the gays were so, like, turned up and were like, hell no, not on tonight, mama, was that was the day that Judy Garland was buried. I've heard and that And that one. the gay community was like, oh, we're bereft, we are heartbroken, we are gooped, gogged, and smacked, and we just cannot deal with this anymore. Which is just sort of a nice, you know, if you're going to have some fun gay stories, let that be one of them. <laughs> so, starts in 1970. I, I remember back when we did... Uh, but one actually one of my favorite episodes of a podcast I've ever done was our Don't Say Gay Bill episode where we had you guys on, uh, and, and you gave a very thorough history of Disney and the LGBTQ plus community. Can you do kind of a similar decade by decade walkthrough on like the history of Pride Month up 
to you know the 21st century or the modern day of course we understand the assignment <laughs> um yeah so we're, we're gonna tag team this a little bit that Who doesn't like a good the tag Id- team <laughs> <laughs> the idea of pride month i think sort of coincides with or the idea of pride coinciding with just gay rights in general like mason had said it was very much an underground thing but there were even pre-pride pre-60s there were movements and organizations that did get started i mean the the society for human rights was started in 1924 it was the first ever lgbtq organization sadly in 1924 it was a tad too early for them and it the group received lots of threats of violence and hate and sadly the group had to disband after a year because they there just was not a, a place in society yet for that fast forward to the 40s things started to become a little more started to become a little better mostly because of the work of alfred kinsey there's some great a great movie out there where liam neeson plays alfred kinsey i think the movie is just called kinsey uh it is a fantastic film uh, that sort of talks about him and his life's work. If you know anything about Alfred Kinsey, he was, I don't know, a sexologist? Is that a word? I don't know. Sure, let's let's go for it. Uh, he really did a lot of studying and was one of the first people to ever really study human sexuality other than uh, Masters of Johnson. And so he started studying specifically sexuality of the human male. And so his book that he wrote, Sexual Behavior of the Human Male, uh, he did all of this research and interviewed all these people and discovered that actually 37% of men have engaged in some sort of homosexual behavior at least once. So this hmm. idea that it was this small little group of people and you know there were like 1% and they were just this weird phenomenon was untrue. I mean, almost 40% have done at least one homosexual act. And so that at least helped to give it a little more of a basis for, oh, maybe this this isn't as small of a thing as we once thought. The Mattachine Society then formed in 1950, which was really then the first organization that stuck around for a while. And their mission was really to just eliminate discrimination, derision, prejudice, and bigotry. And they stuck around for a few decades. And then at the same time in the 50s, the, the Daughters of Bilitis then became the first lesbians rights organization in the United States. And this, I think, is really indicative of the fact that at the time, the gays and the lesbians were not really walking hand in hand. They were really didn't sort of view each other as we're the same thing. The men viewed themselves as, no, but we're the men's side and you're the women's side. And neither the two shall meet. That would later change, which Mason will get into. And then that then led into the 60s, where we then have Stonewall. And then uh, 1970, where the yeah Christopher Street Liberation Day really then started Pride. And Mason... Take it from there. Yeah, so 1970, the Christopher Street Liberation Day to honor that one-year anniversary. But three short years after that, which is really, really pivotal to note, is that the APA, the American uh, Psychological Association, removes homosexuality from its list of mental disorders. So it's removed from the DSM. Gone. So Hmm. um, that, that was a huge moment because now... It is not considered a uh, like a mental disease, which is what society had been looking at it as. Is that we were deviants, we were criminals, we were, and oh my gosh, it's sounding like today, but we we had these this like 
mental disorder that needed to be fixed, right? Then you jump into July 1981, where we had 41 cases of gay-related immune deficiency disorder, which is what HIV was previously called. That was the first name given to it. And those were identified in New York and California. This is when the AIDS epidemic was beginning. And this is really where the lesbians step in, okay? And this is where our community that Zach kind of alluded to with the 1955 situation of where gays and lesbians were really separated socially because we have to remember also back in 1955 women's rights suffrages you know they had the vote but still that social construct of the women belong in the home they belong in the kitchen they belong with the children they don't really belong out in the workforce we had just kind of gotten a taste of what women could be in the workforce because world war ii with all of the rosie the riveters type situations right so there was this contention between function and social constructs back in 1955, well, you fast forward into the AIDS epidemic and that disappears within the queer communities because what's happening is you have these gay men that are being hospitalized with what is considered to be a highly contagious, I mean, they were at one point saying, if they breathed on you, you were going to get HIV and die. Um, and who who steps in to be companions to these people that are going through these horrific experiences in the hospital when they're alone? It was our lesbian sisters. They stepped up. They go in. They're the ones at our bedside. They're the ones that are literally spoon feeding people, are literally there on people's deathbeds, holding their hands as they pass away from this horrific disease because everyone else is scared that they're going to catch the gay disease like that that's what it was considered and this went on for a decade into the early 90s maybe a little bit longer um by 1995 is 1995 1996 is really when the aids epidemic is considered to have been done with right we're still dealing with a lot of aftermath but yeah, 1981 in the AIDS epidemic was what brought our two communities together. Then you jump ahead quite a bit into 2000, where Vermont allows civil unions. Um, so the first state to allow civil unions, which is, for all intents and purposes, um, was supposed to be kind of the idea of separate but equal for gays. Yeah. Um, so this idea that marriage as an institution has grounding in you know religious institutions and that it couldn't be given to the gays well vermont says let's give you at least something to where we recognize your union you get some legal protections um which was also another thing back in the aids epidemic that i should call attention to is that a lot of the partners of those people that were hospitalized and that were passing away they couldn't go in because they were not family members in the eyes of the law and in the eyes of health care so it was lesbians that were going in being nursemaids to those people that couldn't have their partners by their side during those important moments so vermont says we're done with this we're going to give you something 2003 is lawrence v texas this is where sodomy bans are removed from the law books specifically looking much at texas. to uh, uh, scalia's chagrin <laughs> yes then 
this is kind of where things start really ramping up and we kind of have like a, a secession uh, rapid fire changes that happen um, so early 2000s were really kind of seen as like this pivotal moment for us um, as far as like legal rights within the US so we had 2000 like I said civil unions 2003 for Lawrence v Texas where sodomy bans are removed from the books 2004 is where Massachusetts allows same-sex marriage then we what, have what Massachusetts what woo, 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 woo. <laughs> yeah then we have 2010 where don't ask don't tell is repealed so specifically looking at gays and military yes we're there yes we're serving our country um if you look right now we have a secretary of transportation who is a uh, veteran um, and served over in the middle east during the afghan war then we have 2013 where windsor overturned the defense of marriage act and then 2015 the biggest one, in my opinion, right now, at least within the last 10 years, is going to be um, Obergfell uh, v. Hodges, and that is where they um, applied the full faith and credit clause. So they applied the 14th Amendment because what happened in 2013 with the overturning of DOMA is that the federal government had to recognize same-sex marriages, but states still had their federalism and could decide whether they were going to recognize or not recognize unions from other states. Well, 2015 with uh, the Hodges case is where they applied 14th Amendment and said, nope, you have to recognize it. Kind of brings we've, us we've come a today. long way. Yeah, it's also kind of ignoring Article 4 of the Constitutional, right? Or the full faith and credit to, you know, if you're married in one state, you're supposed to be recognized as married in every state supposed to know. be yeah i don't know and for two years they played that game but yeah luckily that the hammer came down yeah and that all came down because of death benefits hmm. that that, that yeah. was the whole thing is that the the hodges case um and i say the hodges case because i still have a hard time saying oberg fell um <laughs> so the hodges case is because one of the couple again thank you lesbians one of the couple had passed away and it was about getting retirement benefits hmm. as the um surviving spouse gotta gotta love our court system they'll, they'll find some very particular issue and <laughs> make a very sweeping judgment about it sometimes for good sometimes not so good we'll see uh i should note we are recording this june 20th so <laughs> Just in case. Right, right. So you've kind of brought us to the modern day. And and you said how, you know, in the the 21st century is really when things like kicked into gear. And there were a whole kind of slew of advances. uh, And Pride Month's become kind of a huge deal now, right? I I know walking through my admittedly quite liberal hometown, you know, our shopping mall is decked out in Pride flags. There's advertising all over TV for Pride. I mean, I was just walking down the street and someone handed me a Pride flag the other day. Uh, there are companies in on the action. There's just a much more widely recognized, uh, celebrated just effort and movement by the community and by allies alike, right? Do you think that, you know, in, in 2022, given all that and given how it's become such a big deal, do you think it has a different meaning now than it has historically coming from that place of you know protest and now is celebration yeah i think so i think it's i mean for sure it 
what started off as a literal riot, you know, because of oppression has grown into this sort of celebration. So I think the meaning of it has definitely changed. You know, when I think about pride, you know, like I mentioned before, I, I really do think about the word celebration. And I think that that's something that has really sustained us for the last several decades within the pride movement is that we have to sort of remember and be thankful for sort of what's happened and all the progress that we've made. I mean, I think there are moments in Pride where I think we do have a look back and we do reflect on maybe some of the darker moments that we're experiencing as well. Generally, some of those moments are reserved for other days. Like we have World AIDS Day. We have Transgender Day of Remembrance. You know, we have some of these other things. But I do think that generally uh, Pride is about having pride and celebrating those wins. And and less everyone take to the streets, get your boots on, and uh, let's go kick some ass. Which I guess is good, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it is. I think that that's... I think it's really I think there's a nice delineation between the the necessary activism. I mean, on our podcast we always say that being queer is political, right? So just the act of being out there and being visible in such a public manner in such a big way. I mean, I'm thinking of pride events that are like New York City, uh San Francisco, Seattle, Miami, um like the the big cities that throw massive pride events that in and of itself is a way of protesting even though it's not actively taking to the streets with your picket signs and doing your chants i mean that that does happen at pride events and i mean we do have a lot of resistance uh we have counter protesters so you know you have the westboro baptist church you have you know all these different hate groups that will come out and protest so we inevitably have a moment of that type of harkening back to the riot and that sense of we need to be activists in this moment but what i really think is that we've been able to take because of stonewall we've been able to take the celebrations that were happening in those gin soaked rooms those back alley you know underground spaces and bring it out so that instead of having to live and I, I think that this kind of speaks to where we are still today is that on a day-to-day basis when we're not in pride month when we're not at a celebration and we're not in halloween right because halloween is kind of like this this other euphoric time for gays so when we're not in pride month or halloween we still have to live in our safe spaces behind closed doors pride allows us to come out be unapologetically gay and be able to live our true selves out where everybody else gets to live their true selves you know so i can walk down the street during pride month in a liberal city you know i'm not talking about texas um, or florida right now but you know walk the street and i can be caught gawking at the hot guy that's jogging in some jogger shorts and i'm like damn you know like and i'm not going to feel like i'm going to get attacked or i can say something to somebody and i'm not going to get bludgeoned i mean i've had multiple friends that have been being actually one of my friends was um the drag queen that got physically uh, accosted in new york city a couple of years ago and was left for dead and was interviewed on the news but um like those things happen but they don't necessarily happen in pride month it's like this it, we create this safe space out in the world instead of always having to have safe space in a gay bar or in our home. So I know there's been a bit of in-group criticism of pride. And one thing that often comes up is, is like 
you know, nowadays how companies will use pride in their advertising and, and stuff like that. I, just, mm. I, I find this so interesting, right? Because on the one hand, it's like, well, isn't this good that, you know, they're ostensibly on the right side, but is it also just co-opting this celebration of an identity for capitalism? What, how do you guys feel about companies using pride in advertising and whatnot? Audience, this is where Zach I stick my earrings off. <laughs> I'm gonna take my earrings I'll off and, girl, and take my wig off. Soapbox, let's go. <sighs> Put that Vaseline on I your face. Very... <laughs> I have some strong feelings about this, Lars. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I've so... I've talked with a lot of different people about it. I I know it's very mixed. <laughs> so let's hear it. Okay, so I mean, yes, it must be acknowledged. We have made some tremendous progress. I mean, if you had told me, you know, 10 years ago, even not that long ago, that like, oh, yeah, like every major, you know, old Navy and like all these like that they would be like celebrating pride and have pride shit all over the windows and stuff. I'd be like, you won't crack. What you talking? Um, So in some ways, like, oh, my gosh, that is amazing. Um, And now it's honestly it's expected. I mean, like if you or in like marketing departments and PR departments, it's expected that you uh, include things like mixed race couples, you know, in your advertising or your commercials or such, your print media. Uh, And it's sort of becoming the same thing for sex couples as well. If you are, you know, um, you know, advertising, uh, you know, retirement benefits, you know, you're one of those like investment firms, like you can have two women sitting at the dining room table looking over their paperwork together. Like that's just expected now. And so that's, sort of great. And I think that's their attempt to stay, you know, modern and relatable in all these things. Um, but it is, it, it, it's, to me, it feels less of a demonstration of we support you and more of just, we have to keep up with the times and we're just compliance. Yeah, it really is. Um, so to me, it feels like less of a, a statement that they're making and more of just an expectation that they're just trying to keep up with. Uh, the the corporatization of Pride Month, I find um, a little barf-inducing. Um, it definitely activates my gag reflex. Insert joke here. Um, and <laughs> she hasn't found I can't it stand in years. That. Um, I can't I can't stand that. And so uh, there's actually a term for this. It's rainbow washing hmm. where, you know, companies are not really engaging in any sort of um, proactive work or activism within their own company structure. But then June 1st turns around and they're like, hi, gay. It's right. uh, that rainbow washing is cringy uh so for everyone that's listening right now if you work for a company that engages in rainbow washing i would encourage you to check that and i i do it for my company all the time so if you're gonna go out there and say hey you know we support black lives matter or we support pride and we're gonna maybe sell like this particular merch that's gonna have like our company logo but with like rainbow flags on it Oh, that's really nice. Thank you for making that merch. When I buy that shirt, where does the money go? Are you turning around and putting that money back into your own pocket? Because that's not really what you should be doing. You should be saying, we're going to take that money and donate it to an LGBTQ organization. If you're going to say, we're going to make shirts that have our logo with Black Lives Matter and then sell that shirt, and then you're not going to give that money over to Black Lives Matter or some other kind of organization that supports that work, that is capitalism at its finest. And when I say finest, I mean 
its lowest. So yeah, I'm not not quite so much a fan. Unless they're doing it for real. If they're putting the work in and you can say, oh, look, here's all the things that we're doing behind closed doors as well. Awesome. Love that for you. It's just so interesting to me. Black Lives Matter is another great example, right? It's just like, well, do you stop selling the shirts at the end of the month? Or do you sell them year-round? It's more about being consistent. And I'm, you know, I'm as neoliberal of a shill as any other <laughs> any other guy. But <laughs> I, I, guess, I guess the question... Do you think when companies... Let's assume the worst-case scenario, right? Let's assume a company... It's Pride Month and they will do, you know, they'll go out and the advertising and they'll sell Pride stuff and then they really won't do anything else, right? Do you think... Are they doing something wrong or are they just not doing enough? I guess that's what I'm asking. They're appropriate. They're the slime of humanity. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Was that maybe too blunt? Yeah, I think it is appropriating. Okay. But I mean, they they are the denizens of the deep. They are the slime of humanity. That they would take something as important and powerful as pride, Black Lives Matter, insert you know uh, activism here, uh, and say we're going to use this as a shell just to make more money f- and make the money Wait, for ourselves. I- so I have a really great example for this. Yeah. Ready? Trump. Oh, mama. <laughs> he held up a flag that said gays for Trump or LGBT for right. Trump. And was it was crappy. No gay person made that fucking flag. Let's just say that right now. No. It would have been screen printed. <laughs> it would have had clean lines. But held that up during his campaign and he was just using it for show. Right. And then what did he do? Turned around and did the exact opposite of everything that that flag was supposed to stand for. Hmm. My, my last question on pride in the modern world. Do you, do you think there's an increased attention and, and kind of drive to use pride as an outlet for protest uh, and get out there this year due to some of the, you know, you talked about how the 21st century has mostly been progress, but in the last, you know, few years, there have been some setbacks, specifically looking at the Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida and, and things like that. Do you think this year it's different? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Short answer, yes. <laughs> Always. There, There's just been so much within the last couple of years. I mean, we have the Don't Say Gay bill. We have the trans bathroom bills that have been happening for the last couple of years. It's just absolutely crazy the amount of crap that's been going on against us i mean we're looking at trans kids health access we're looking at just access of trans people in general not even just looking at necessarily affirming you know gender affirming care but literal just access for queer community members to basic health care there have been multiple states that have put forth legislation to their houses that say yeah no your doctor can just deny you health care and ems can also deny to resuscitate you or touch you because they find out that you're gay because again gayness is contagious contagious or something i mean we don't want half of you anyways um <laughs> seriously <laughs> but uh yeah it's just i think that there's a lot more going on in the foreground like there's always been stuff going on in the background and we've always kind of fought against that but i think that there's been enough going on that's been made so visible on the national stage that there's this huge need to go big or stay home type idea before we jump into our last segment uh, we will take a quick commercial break do you love news and politics so much but you know what the problem is what's that 
It's also heteronormative. Ugh, well, I have got the perfect podcast for you. Ooh, spill the tea, honey. It's news and politics, but with a gay twist. In fact, that's what it's called, with a gay twist. It's a political podcast hosted by two homosexuals with graduate degrees in law and public policy. That sounds fabulous. They discuss everything from Congress to drag race. It's très gay. Head on over to www.withagaytwist.com to learn more. On it. Oops, wrong place. And we're back. So for our last bit on Pride in this episode, I want to talk about how people can be better allies both this month and unlike many of these companies in general, right? You know, I'm not in the community, but always strive to learn and do better. So let's start easy. What are the best ways to be an ally during Pride Month? Should straight people go out there and celebrate? Use it like as an opportunity to learn? Are there political outlets? Tell me what to do. <laughs> Lars, uh, you and your ilk are more than welcome to come to pride parades and pride festivals. We love when the straights come. We need the straights. There are more of you than there are of us. And so if shit's going to change, you know, we're, it's going to be in cahoots with the straights. You know, I say this all the time uh, when it comes to issues of like anti-racism. Like if white people ain't talking about this shit, like it's not going to change. Like it's white people who got to change some shit. So it's the same thing with the straights. We appreciate your support. We, we would we'd love to see you at the, at the parades and the festivals. Uh, the only place where we might be un peu territorial might be at the gay clubs. And I th- we, we touched a little on this in our previous episode, Lars, about if you are a straight person, you're going to show up to a gay club. Cool, that's fine. But do not gay bait our asses. Because if you're going to show up looking to get turnt, because we all know that our music is better, you cannot go there and like take your top off and be like dancing your you know hot sexy body around <laughs> and then not think that you're not going to get hit on and if you're a then going to get freaked out that you just got hit on like i'm sorry do you know where you are right now right. you are on our turf <laughs> uh and secondly like if you're going to do that then you better be cool with like some guy just like gawking at you and maybe even coming over and like touching you because that's where you are you know maybe even asking you to go into the bathroom for a little little something something i mean you should be prepared for that if you're going to go in there and gay bait Just saying. (laughs) Be prepared for it. Just know that's going to happen and take it as the compliment that we mean it, right? (laughs) Exactly. The the biggest thing for me as a former drag queen was that when I would say something to some straight man in the audience and they get all pissy because some drag queen just said, I'm like, can you just take it as a compliment? I think you're sexy. Like, let's just go with it. Like, just say, oh, thank you, but no thank you, right? Right, right. And, And... On that note, the other thing as far as being good allies in the gay clubs is if you go to a drag show, you are not the intended audience. (laughs) There's going to be music, there's going to be references that you don't get, but number one, you should still tip the performers. Kings and queens are there to make money and most of them work just off of tips. Like that, that's all they earn. They don't get an appearance fee unless they're one of those RuPaul Drag Race girls or from Mm -hmm. the Boulay brothers, right? They have been on TV, they're not getting an appearance fee. And yeah, just don't, it about yourself either like don't this is not a time for you to get up on stage and try and be the center of attention either right. and i'm looking at all of you bachelorette parties right now <laughs> every single one of you um oh girl get drunk get turned i don't do know what it is about the bachelorette parties. parties i will push you there there is nothing worse than a group of 
straight, usually white women, always usually blonde as well, bottle jobs, of course, that think when they walk into a drag show, they're like, oh, everyone, everything is here. Uh, the world was made for me. Mama, no, it is not. I'm sorry. <laughs> so what, what about throughout the year? So let, let's broaden how to be a better ally just in your life. For me, I think one of the easiest, clearest lines of demarcation is this. Stop eating Chick-fil-A, please. They are notoriously anti-gay. This, I know the chicken sandwich is good, okay? The waffle fries, on fire. Fucking love them. The cookies and cream milkshake, fire. Yes, it's delicious. And they also take that money and they go and support like all these anti-gay causes. And it's terrible. You know where else you can get really good fries? McDonald's. I don't know. In any of the other fast food places? McDonald's? Five Guys? I mean, do you like the crinkle cut? Go to Shake Shack. I mean, you know how many? There's literally hundreds of chicken sandwiches out there. But there's one that does taste like hate. So just, you know, stop eating fucking Chick-fil-A. I was told by a colleague today that they went to a job. They're like a freelancer. And they went to a job and they showed up and they had like a pride table set up with like celebration. And they had catered lunch. And they had catered Chick-fil-A. No, what? Yes. What the hell, Mary? What are you doing? So anyway, so I would say that uh, in general, you know, support candidates that are have pro-LGBT policies. I mean, go to their website. Usually candidates nowadays go to their website, look at what their policies are. I mean, Ayanna Presley's like motto or the things you can buy on her merch is my uh, policy is my love language. And I'm of the same ilk as well. I'm so happy to say that she's my member of Congress. I'm her constituent. Mm. Ayanna Presley. So proud. Thank you, Boston. So, I mean, but that in, in general is, is easier for Democrats because I don't, I can't think of a single Democrat today that is not in support of, you know, LGBT equality. Oh God, maybe Joe Manchin. I don't know. Where does he stay? He's from West Virginia. Who knows? Maybe he's still pro cousins marrying or something. <laughs> Who knows? Uh. But generally that's easier with, with the Dems. And the other thing I would say is try to make fair friends with more LGBT people, especially with trans folks. 80% of people do not personally know someone who is trans. And so when you don't personally know someone who's trans, the only thing you then know about trans people are going to be what you get from mass media. And whether that be news, television, films, and that's going to be problematic because the representation of trans folk uh, is not the greatest. So... If you, for example, are maybe listening to this and you think, oh, I'm okay with trans folks. I just don't know. I mean, nowadays, like seven-year-olds are getting bottom surgery done. And I just don't think that's right. I think they're too young for that. Okay, you have been fooled by the fear mongers out there who want you to believe that they're seven-year-olds getting doctor's appointments to have their genitalia cut off. That That's not happening. That's not a real thing. Right. And if you knew trans people, I think you would that would be a fear that would be quickly alleviated. And finally, my last little bit would be, again, if you make friends with folks that are gender non-conforming or non-binary, specifically if they use they-them pronouns, or it's just maybe someone who's in your life who then their pronouns then change during your friendship, the vast majority of, of, of queer, gender non-conforming folks are not just itching to bite your head off because you misgender them. I work with someone very closely on my team who is non-binary, uses they, them pronouns, and I have seen them misgender themselves in a meeting. It's just sort of funny. Like, it's, you know, brains have brain farts. It's normal. If you do misgender someone, go back, fix it, keep going. Don't perseverate. Just go back, fix it then keep going. 
and I think the vast majority of gender nonconforming folks or queer folks or trans folks are going to be very appreciative that you just you acknowledged it and then you moved on. Hmm. So, yeah. All right, off my soapbox. I want to just jump in there real quick because my biggest thing is be our ally even when we're not there. So Ooh. you need to not only educate yourself, but you need to educate us in moments where they are being hateful or they are saying incorrect facts. I mean, just be willing to be that brave ally and have those awkward conversations of, hey, you know, I heard that you said this and that it's not true or, hey, that, that was kind of a not great thing to say. This is, you know, how you might be able to phrase it a little better or, hey, you're not being inclusive, you know, if you're at work. Kind of stepping up even when there's not somebody actively present in that moment to step up for. So I'll turn it back to the introspective for a minute. I, I kind of pitched this idea to you both as a way to give members of the LGBTQ plus community a platform with our audience to talk about why Pride matters and the history of Pride and what they can do to be better allies. So think, you know, left-leaning to moderate, touch of center-right people, suburban parents, yuppies, people like that. What, what would you tell you know, that kind of group who are probably mostly very well-meaning, but maybe they don't know what they're not doing enough of to support the community. What would you say to them? I guess the first thing that I would say to kind of just expand what we had, what we were just talking about as far as what they can do year-round is you're not speaking up enough for us in the political sphere, right? So a lot of what we're having to do as far as our community, just to make sure that we have access to the same rights is is on all of our shoulders. When if you want to be an ally, a, a true ally, just simply sending an email or sending a letter over to your congressional representative, your state representatives, or your governor, or your local officials of, hey, what is your stance? Like, even if you don't want to push them on saying your own personal opinions, if you don't want to be that person that's like, you need to do this, like forcing them to actually answer the question straightforward and not dance around the topic, that is a huge help to us and something that Mm. I don't see enough of our straight allies doing. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, of writing your congressman, emailing your congressman. Call your senators. Is, is there a, a, a piece of media, be it, be it a book, a show, an article, an event, something that you think is like the best introduction for, you know, straight people to the culture of pride? Or if you want to be much broader and give, give it a lot more weight, like something that you would introduce them to to be a better ally just in general? I, Damn. The first thing that popped in my head was, uh, that is quite a question. The first thing that popped in my head was actually like an opposite thing of like, don't watch this thing, which is the movie Stonewall that was done by Roland Emmerich okay. uh, probably 10 years ago. Don't watch that True. because that is some whitewashing bullshit. They made it look like Stonewall was just a whole bunch of, you know, white twinks walking around getting upset when, as we sort of talked about, like the the presence of trans women of color was a predominant presence during that time. Uh, And also very like dykey butch lesbians like out there, you know, boots on, plaid shirts wearing, be stereotypical for a sec, just out there, you know, kicking ass. Uh, So don't watch Stonewall. I think that the the movie Milk with uh, Sean Penn is a really excellent film Mm. and it shows it's written by a gay man, Dustin Lance Black, who won an Academy Award for the screenplay. I think it's a really good look at that 
particular time period and it shows sort of the, the, the spark of sort of uh, after Pride has sort of just gotten started and what it was like uh, for this game man to ride a run for the, the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco and become right. one of the first openly gay members of uh, in a political position. Uh, and also goes to show you a lot of what it's like whenever a gay person becomes successful. Obviously, if everyone knows the story of Harvey Milk, when he was then assassinated, the person who killed him got off pretty easily because of what's so-called the Twinkie defense. I mean, literally his defense was, I ate a whole lot of junk food, just wasn't in the right frame of mind. And they said, okay. I think he died shortly thereafter for other reasons. But Twinkies. <laughs> the, the Twinkies just got to him. If you want to see kind of like history, um, this isn't really necessarily related to Pride specifically, but Paris is Burning is really great. Um film to watch that is kind of a documentary type style it's looking back at the ball culture um specifically looking at poc experiences in new york city at that time there's also another film it's about uk so even though it's not necessarily uh related to us but um it still harkens back to it, it's about their ball culture over in the uk and how that is and they actually talk a little bit more i would say about the interracial issues that exist within the queer community and kind of the the current standing from what outsiders are seeing the u.s as right now there's there's a ton of stuff out there don't rely on media like oh, like yeah. the, the dramatizations all the time like we're so yeah i was gonna say stereotypes yeah I, there was one show that was on hbo a few years ago and it ran for for three seasons i think it's called looking and it stars jonathan groff and a whole host of other people if you watch the white lotus and you like the white lotus the hotel manager he's in it as well murray bartlett that's his name uh now to me, what I love about that show is it gives you a more balanced view of what like gay life in San Francisco is like. Because a lot of gay shows, and I, th- I think I'm thinking of like Queer as Folk. We're throwing it back now. Queer as Folk. Lars, do you even know what Queer as Folk I, I is? I don't. I don't. It, it was a show on Showtime years ago. So and good. So problematic, but so good. <laughs> very problematic. But it, it, it felt like every episode, they were at some rave, at some club, and everyone was hooking up with everyone. And by all means that i mean there yeah there's a grain of truth to the truth of that but that's not all gay culture is so when i was a kid watching it i thought that's all gay culture is looking however uh has a, a better balance of that where yeah there's some there's some hoochie mama moments going on for sure but then there's also more struggles within relationships and sort of what that looks like big fan of that show actually i've found there's a musical artist i really like and who is openly gay uh, and his name is Orville Peck. Oh, I've yes, used, Orville I've Peck. I used him not as, like, to convince anyone, but as... A thing I like about it is, like, the stuff he sings about, yes, it very much has gay overtones and directly talks about it, but it's also just, like, re- very relatable stuff, right? It, it's it's heartbreak. It's depression. It's... I, I was going to ask if you think he's a good example because, you know, he's not over-selling it. He's just kind of being who he is and even though it's not his real name <laughs> and he hides his face yeah no i think i think he's good i think there's a lot of uh, i believe also there, there is this movement that's happening as well in the music industry to be more inclusive by uh, artists choosing to not write songs from a gendered perspective hmm. and so instead of saying you know i miss my girl she was so pretty you just sort of write it in a way where you're not mentioning a gender hmm. uh so that when you are the listener you can apply that 
to whomever it is that you're thinking about. Is there's this thing, like, if you go to karaoke bars, aren't you a karaoke bar kind of person? I've dabbled. (laughs) Experimented. (laughs) Yeah. There's nothing I hate worse than a karaoke bar. Well, there's two things I hate. One, it's the girl who gets up there and she's going to sing Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. And you know that she's like, girls, are you ready for this? You're going to watch this one? It's that I can't stand. But the other thing I can't stand is when a typically guy gets up there and sings a song that was originally written by a woman. And then he will then start flipping the, the lyrics to, to like change the gender I'm like, just sing the how, goddamn song how unsure about yourself are you, do you have to be dude are, exactly <laughs> are you are you that scared that like your dick is gonna shrivel up and fall off because you said he in a song like calm down oh my gosh so I, I i hate it when people do that but a lot of artists i believe um oh what's the cute one from one direction uh harry styles thank you I love that Mason <laughs> did not get that one, but the straight one knew what I meant. Thank you, no, Lars, for just, being an he ally. He just beat me to it. <laughs> uh, I believe uh, Harry Styles is one of the people that has been really big on that by saying, like, yeah, I'm just going to write my songs in a way that just you can uh, any listener can listen to it and imagine it's being sung about anyone. So uh, one last question before we get to our conclusion. Just kind of tie it all up. What is, what is like, one thing that you think even the best-meaning people – seem to misunderstand about being a good ally. How can I do better? I hope I'm well-meaning. <laughs> <laughs> I think most people are well-meaning, but, I mean, you know what they say about the road to hell. Right. So, for me, to be an ally is something you have to earn. You can't just sort of call yourself an ally. You've got to be called an ally mm-hmm. by someone in group. And so, being tolerant is different than being accepting, which is different than being supportive, which is different than being an advocate or an ally. To me, those are four different stages. And your tolerance, I mean, we fought for tolerance, especially like in the 90s and the aughts. We fought for the Will and Grace era. That was just so that you could tolerate us. And great, I'm so glad that you do, but that is the bare minimum. Your acceptance, okay, thank you, that's better. We appreciate you accepting us. Now you're becoming supportive, okay. Hey, girl, hey, how you doing? Now I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a little more open with you now. Okay, thank you for being so supportive. I appreciate it. But, of course, the thing that I think we, we really need is is the advocacy. It's, it's it's the allyship. And that means, like Mason mentioned earlier, like you got to get in there and you got to say something. I could not, you know, I, I was in a, in, a, in a setting recently where a friend of mine who is a very, she, she's a lesbian. She's very open-minded. She's very, I mean, all the things that you would think and hope. And... But we were talking about something, and she used the N-word. Now, she didn't use it in a way that she was actually, she was quoting someone. But in the quote, she she said it as opposed to saying the N-word. And I tell you what, it took everything within me, like, to not, like, I mean, I was wanting to jump out of my skin. I couldn't handle it. And then I thought to myself, if I say nothing and I just let this go, what kind of fucking ally am I? What kind of advocate am I for this movement of anti-racism? I have to, as the white person, say something to my fellow white person. Be like, you could have just said the N-word. You didn't have to actually say it. You were making a quote. I would have understood the quote. And I think it's for, for straights, it's the same thing. Like, you gotta, you gotta step up when, when someone's not there and, and make sure that you're not being duplicitous in any of your, any of your behavior. And stop going to Chick-fil-A. And stop fucking going to Chick-fil-A! <laughs> the waffle fries are not that good. No, that's a really good answer. I really like that. There's a difference between tolerance and I like those stages. That's I've never heard it put that way, but that's really that's actually very helpful. Thank you. You can find my book on Amazon.com. No, not really. <laughs> I wish. Four stages to being an ally. Um, 
Terrific. So let's end this episode quickly with our In Our Lifetime for this week. You guys ready? So you mentioned him already, but in 2020, Pete Buttigieg became the first openly gay candidate to win a presidential primary. And in 2021, he became the first openly gay cabinet secretary, too. Big stuff. But whether it is Buttigieg or someone else, my question is, in our lifetime, will an openly LGBTQ plus person become president of the United States? I... <laughs> just just that idea sort of fills me. It's uh, just the idea of it. You can't pretend Pete doesn't want to be president. So Oh, uh, <laughs> no. And that interview that he did with CBS Sunday Morning where he like dodged that question, masterfully dodged that question. We're all sitting there like, "Girl, Miss Buttigieg, right. we see you. Right. We know what you're thinking." No, I, he he is going to run again. There's no and especially, I mean, I think it was probably behind closed doors. It was, you know, Biden selected him as a cabinet secretary to set him up even more so. He's probably going to run for Senate at some point. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he tried to run for Senate or maybe even governor of Indiana. Who knows? But yeah, he he, he will run for sure. Will he get Godspeed? But will he get it? Uh, I I, I don't know. I hope so. He had some some issues, I think, with certain demographics, particularly voters of color. He's going to have to work on that uh, big time. But if we do get a gay person or an LGBTQ person, it's going to have to be a G. I don't, I don't think we can handle, I don't think we, I don't think it's, we're, we're, I don't think in our lifetime we'll see a trans person at the top of the ticket. We might see a gay person or a lesbian. Not. Yeah, I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll okay. say yes. Okay. But it's going to have to be, because of this, the, the culture in which we live, it's going to have to be someone who looks like Pete. Okay. It's got to be someone who, I'll just say it, someone who's who's straight passing. I think I think Pete is, is straight passing. If you didn't know that he had a husband, I think you would probably assuming he had a wife it will not be someone who you know is very flamboyant i don't think we're ready for that and i think i mean pete did really well i mean he won (laughs) the iowa caucus which is insane to me it's because he doesn't come off very like femmy he's not out there shouting yas queen you know he's not doing that i kind of like to see that campaign though right (laughs) it would it would be very interesting but i think because he's a very like real talk kind of guy and his whenever he's asked a question his answers are always uh, highly lucid and understandable and middle america can understand him very well i think that's what made him uh, relatable and uh, people could connect to him but as soon as you start throwing in a Yas queen in there I think people are turned off and they're like yeah I don't want that Mason? I'm going to say no as okay. much as I would love to see one of my kind I mean I kind of fall into line of if it happens it's going to be a straight passing white cisgender gay male however what I will say is that I think that we will see a lesbian as vice president I mean, that's a good follow up I mean that's a, that's a good one I, I think I'm going to How's this for a compromise? I think I might say we could get a B. I, I think you could have an openly bisexual president in our lifetime, which, you know. I mean, I would say at, at one point, Kirsten Cinema, I think, was like in the running of like, God, this could this could be. And then she just became like a villain to the Democrats. <laughs> uh, uh, so it's not going to be her. I will say I don't think that they would be openly bisexual during their campaign. I think that they would come out after they have won the uh, presidency or... They will be openly bisexual, however, they are in a heterosexual, committed relationship. Mm. That. Yeah. It's, it's less I, I can that see way. that, yeah. The only other way that it could happen would be, you know, I think 
because you know we're, we're, we're our country is like a pendulum. You know, we go through these phases. Right now, we're definitely backsliding. And my prediction, as much as Lars and Mike want to disagree, I I think Trump is unless he's in jail is probably going to win the twenty twenty four election, and we will then be on a, a hellish turn. <laughs> We're going to be on a hellish turn, but I think the response to it after that is going to have to be, we got to swing back the other way. I guess Trump was really a response to Obama. I think it was, oh my God, there's, we have a black guy in in the Oval Office. And so the response was, let's do the opposite of an educated black man. Let's do that guy with the hair. Yeah. And so I hope that we will then shift back and it will be something really progressive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, on that high note, we will end with that. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody. Uh, first of all, go follow Zach and Mason on Twitter. They're great. They're some of our most reliable Twitter followers, too. <laughs> um, I don't know. Pl- plug your accounts. Plug your podcast. What do you guys want to plug? Yeah, you can uh, find all of our information on our website at withagaytwist.com. You can follow Twitter at ZacharyPen48. And you can find me on Twitter at real Mason Dixon or on Instagram, same handle. And of course you can also reach out to us with the post writer on Twitter. You can find, follow us at the post writer. You can email us contact at the postwriter.com. We like hearing from you. Come chat with us. Tell us how your pride month went. Suggest some other topics for us to unpack. I'm sure we'll have Zach and Mason back. We're brought to you by the postwriter.com. You can check out stuff we work on things we've written and our other podcasts over there. Uh, and once again, thank you both Mason and Zach for joining. It was great to have you back. Thank, thank you for you having so us. Much.